Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. And I'm Rebecca. And this is the Yikes Podcast. Hey everyone, um, welcome back. Episode two. Episode two. Of season two. Of season, yeah, how Ooh. exciting. Um, welcome to the Yikes Podcast, podcast where we talk about all things that make us yikes, um, from refugee rights to climate justice and activism. We try and make these conversations inclusive and accessible um, and just trying to open up the conversation a bit more on these things, whether you like know a lot about this stuff or you know nothing at all. Um, yeah. Welcome. Welcome. So we're going to try and actually stick to our format of um, having a yikes of the week every episode. So... What's made you yikes, Joe? Oh, no, 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 you go. Okay. (laughs) Too much for me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, every week there's too much to yikes about. Um, Something that has definitely made me yikes recently, which is what this episode's going to be on, which is on media and how that presents, like, how that affects us and, like, our representation to the world. Basically, I've been thinking a lot about how... I know that we talk about echo chambers and, like, all that stuff, but also about how much social media apps and their algorithms themselves create different realities to people Mm. and how that makes me really uncomfortable like I feel like it can be quite easy to go like I've ended up down the rabbit hole of alt-right wing like um twitter and it's stressful as fuck Fuck, yeah yeah. like and seeing but also realizing how much people reinforce each other's views a lot Mm. and I haven't actually watched the documentary I only watched the trailer but there's this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma which talks about like social media and in it like literally only in the trailer they're talking about how like everyone when you type in on google you know when you start typing it comes with recommendations mm-hmm. everyone's recommendations are different based on where they live and what things that they usually mm-hmm. search and that kind of reinforces this like reality that everyone lives in and how much i think it's difficult because like obviously both of us try and use social media for change positive change mm-hmm. and then like kind of seeing how social media deliberately constructs these alternate and separate realities yes. and how much media does that kind of made me quite stressed out because i was like is it even possible to break out of that like right and I don't know how much how much am I even just reinforcing yeah this yeah. like with my use of social media and is that the right way to be using it or I don't know yeah it's really difficult because obviously using these platforms can seem like using it as a positive way to enact change but at the same time these platforms are you know owned by billionaires mm. that um have a certain agenda mm-hmm. and they will reinforce that certain agenda which means like we're using these tools to enact change by using the tools that also oppress us mm. and like that's really hard to balance because like especially obviously in lockdown like so many people have been like more on social media and in many ways like the media has also brought about change or like is a way Mm. of like us organizing or like us like for me it's definitely like changed so many worldviews for me Mm. hopefully like what I now consider in a positive way but obviously also there will be things that I have learned which are actually quite harmful and yeah when you don't there's like often especially on like social media and like for example Instagram like there's no nuance because Mm. it's always like very like you know it's like very right or wrong and there's no room for discussion, which means like people just blare out and like vomit their opinions onto pages. And then like there will always be like backing up or like certain, yeah, there's like reinforcing like rabbit, ho- rabbit holes, which makes it like really difficult to actually like 
have like reflexive or like kind of being like oh like why do you think that like maybe it's the way you grew up or like maybe it's the way like you've been exposed to certain worldviews just as I have mm -hmm. so like how do we meet at a point where we can where we can actually have a discussion like that just doesn't exist mm -hmm. on social media um yeah something that I think about a lot is like uh, and that I struggle with the social media is how much nuance doesn't fit in with the out what the algorithm wants and what mm. people want from social media so for example if i do a post on social media that's like this is completely wrong like explicitly wrong definitely wrong like mm. and being really like sassy and like finger snapping like everything then it gets like great engagement people love that but then if you say something they're like oh this is actually a lot more complex and like blah blah mm. people are like i don't want to see the complex but also the algorithm like doesn't want to see the complexity yes. like it wants like these like really I don't know clear cut answers yeah. but nothing is that clear cut and it's really I think that's really difficult and it, yeah and I also kind of like you like I owe a lot of my awareness of a lot of different issues to mm. social media and my like growing understanding of a lot of things to social media like especially things that I don't personally experience yes. so life experiences that I don't personally experience like I genuinely would attribute my kind of knowledge which obviously isn't enough knowledge of like trans issues mm. to social media specifically yeah, because like I in my life haven't met that or haven't been friends with that many trans people mm -hmm. um and therefore social media has given me an opportunity also to like learn from people who want to like share their experiences share that, yeah. um and not even with that though but also with like even with prison abolition and stuff I've learned mm. loads from social media about that and like um I had I don't know weird things like soil. I've learned a lot about soil from social media. But I know that's from my... prison abolition to soil. Yeah, but that's but that's that was that's, a drama. that's what social media is like. I I can't completely dismiss it. Yes, because I've learned a lot, and also I can see that there is a way of making positive change. But then I yeah I do grapple mm. with this like I'm also using a platform which has been used to like I don't know really affect elections and like yes all these different things and like how do we grapple with all of this mm. and I find it really tricky it's super difficult but for, I think for me like on my social media even though I know I'm I'm in somewhat of like an echo chamber for me it's even harder to watch tv nowadays mm. like I can't like I can't remember the last time that I watched tv which which wasn't like a show that I actively went to or like mm. a movie that I actively chose like just switching on the tv is like I'm just like there's so much propaganda like mm. it's all propaganda mm. and it's all just like I mean obviously not all but like you know enjoy your cooking show or whatever but um like so much of it is just like I'm like what I, like the images and the narratives that are like being normalized mm. and like reinstalled and like enforced are wild I think it's different difficult because like social media in many ways you can believe it's democratized information because like mm. any but then at the same time because people some people will be like oh well this means that there's no longer the gatekeeping of like editors or publications from stopping you from spreading information of whatever mm. but then also at the same time the fact that there's no editors means that anyone can be an expert in anything yes. like and especially when it comes to like at, like going down the anti-vax rabbit hole of social mm. media like that's a lot of like people who who don't know anything about yeah. the science of vaccinations and so but then promote all this stuff about and share all these like bogus articles so it's really difficult because i think in some way it's democratized information in some way it's democratized activism as well because it means that like mm. anyone could but then at the same time it's also like had the opposite effect yes. yeah so it's because like, yeah. and i guess also like with the like anonymity anonymity mm. um or just like you can like scream into the void mm -hmm. and you can like you can be as nasty mm. as you want and there's 
no repercussions. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's like, it's so easy to not see the humans behind mm-hmm. or like to, to dehumanize other people on these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, especially obviously like right wing, like just like individuals that like go onto other people's pages to cause harm. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no like repercussion of that. And there's mm-hmm. no, um, I don't want to use the word censoring, but you know, like, I know what you mean. I think it's like, it's yeah with all the with all the like in many ways social media has also allowed us to like hold journalists accountable so yeah for, for example um there was a navarra media um video they made about this about how a lot of right-wing journalists like are like calling this tirade against what they call cancel culture but all it is is them now being held accountable for articles they wrote wrote were in the mm. past like there was no modem for people yes. to actually hold these people accountable it's like they wrote an article in the newspaper they received nothing in response because like there wasn't yeah. whereas now and that's also used, that also kind of same tactic is used in a way to like just cause harm against people mm. as well. And it's like... But that's exactly the nuance that social media doesn't have. Mm. But we have it as, you know, like talking about it now. Yeah. Um. You know, and I think that's important to acknowledge like how we use those tools. Because mm. uh, anything can be manipulative and like mm. harmful. Um, and I guess it's like the way that we intentionally use these forms of expressions of art i guess mm. like in some way or like expressions of like sharing and knowledge and like democratizing knowledge if it wasn't the way that we that it is being used in many ways yeah and it's like are we just, both taking an yikes. exhale of breath you big yikes because a part of me when i'm using social media sometimes i i think of that quote isn't audrey lord quotes or is it tony morrison the uh you can't dismantle the master's house using the master's tools oh yeah, yeah, yeah. i wonder how much That's... I am in using social media, am I just using these master's tools in order mm. to try and dismantle the master's house and mm. therefore am I actually creating any change? And I think about that a lot. Yes. And like, I grapple with that a lot. Like, and yeah. I think that, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, um, like Naomi Klein talked a lot about this, like, you know, like how like, yeah, Facebook is this like very harmful platform in many ways, but mm. it's also kind of like allowing a lot more people to, take part in organizing or Mm -hmm. like in movements but if it's like the only way Mm. that it's being used then again we're being filtered we're being you know like silenced by this Mm. platform so like just as like like instagram cannot be the only way that we organize like or like that we enact change i think that's like sometimes like people think like what they do on instagram is enough Mm. and i think that is like you know like go like like the more the multiplicity of tools that we use will enact change, not the mm. one way. It was like, um, yeah. it was like how there was a reductionist post that was like, um, woman dies of activism f- fatigue after sharing four infographics on her story. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I do think that, like, for example, with the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. you there is no doubt that without social media, it would not have spread as much yes. as it has. And it wouldn't have become as big as it has. And that's like, so important that we can't undermine that and, that, and also mm. both of us use social media so we do think social media yes. can cause a lot of change but at the same time I did see this like very lazy performative mm. allying happening where people who I've seen since and haven't changed their behavior at all yeah. would share an infographic on their story to be like like I'm I care and then, mm. but then have they even read it? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. I, and I do feel like, yeah, there's this issue with social media. There's so much information mm. that like, are we going that deep into it? There was, yes. there was actually an interview um, with Angela Davis where she was talking about like social media being a really great 
platform and modem for good but like mm. are we just getting are we getting educated or are we getting are we just informed yes like are we just getting this like kind of surface level we know a little bit about a lot of things mm. or are we really getting to understand an issue and like I think I see that in myself a lot that like I know a little bit about a lot of things but like how much time am I spending to like get educated and like mm. understand things a bit more but I don't know yeah no that's that's really real and I think I guess it's like it is really harmful I think we saw it a lot already like when Instagram first started all these people like taking Instagram pictures at the same spots and completely mm. like harming for example like the natural environment now and like now there's like very performative like oh I've shared one post like mm. you know look at me like back squares yeah 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 I put it on my CV now that I'm like you know like <laughs> um shared a black square, shared in, black square. <laughs> during my BLM phase hire um, me for diversity yeah. training <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah so mm. Mm. but then I, I I keep thinking about like just like hearing us speak about this I keep thinking about the Sky News um the reporter that like went out and interviewed refugees on a boat yes trying to cross the channel Mm. and like the way that our media normalizes crisis and normalizes mm. like disaster like, like, yeah. and like this games. obsession yeah. literally mm. like this obsession of like let me watch other people like be harmed and be oppressed and like be in dire in the most dire situations mm. and i am i feel comfortable enough to watch this mm. like how devastating is that that mm. you that we are so normalized to this mm. and I want yeah I guess like something that we I guess like kind of started thinking about this like the it's like how much of the media is actually you know like kind of like normalizing crisis for us mm. and dystopia and like you know like what we think of normal as now was like not normal for our parents mm. in, in the same time but like so much of what's happened now is just like normal mm. and I feel like the media has such a big role in that and mm. there's like not enough there's not enough change there that yeah. is trying to catalyst for change. Okay, so the media affects how we see the world, how we conceptualise things, how we even our possibility to imagine a different world or a future. Um, so when we are aware that the media is affecting our perception of things, maybe affecting how we live our lives and things, what are the questions we should be asking? Ooh, um, who owns the media? Mm. What narratives are being constantly like reinforced? And, um, and why? And why? What... What stories are being told and what ones are not being told, mm. um, you know, nationally, internationally. Mm. Um, and also, like, how are certain groups of people represented? Mm. Um, what are some of the, let's say, some of the, like, headlines? Like, what are some of the wording? Mm. Um, especially when we look at the moment of, like, BLM protests, uh, you know, like, who, what is a riot? What is a looting? What mm. is... Um, Things like that. Yeah, just always thinking, like, who does this serve, this yes. article or this narrative or whatever? What are the interests? Yeah, I always think about this with, um, especially with migrant rights and refugee rights. Mm. Like, there's a reason why at certain times suddenly 
it suddenly there's a migrant crisis mm. because billionaires don't want you to look at them. They want you to mm. look at the scapegoat and fight between yourselves. Um, yeah, always looking at why. Yes. So who controls the media in the UK? We're, gonna, we're talking about UK perspective just because we're based in the UK. UK. Yeah. Um, so um, it's three companies. <laughs> three companies owning or dominating 83% of the national newspaper market. And that's an increase from 71% in 2015. Like it's getting worse and mm. worse. And those, and like these three companies are the, the News UK, Daily Mail Group and Reach, and they're all owned by billionaires. Mm. Yikes. Big yikes. So grim. I think that like when you, when you know that you need, you can understand why certain narratives are pushed. So mm. you can understand why like, People like, for example, refugees and asylum seekers are and migrants are dehumanized mm. and used as scapegoats because that's the anti-immigration agenda that they want to push for yeah. reasons that benefit those people. Yes. Um, and I think like with that, it's like realizing how that's affected your perception of the world and your mm. understanding of issues. And I think, and I try and challenge, like I try and challenge myself on that as well. Like if I if I believe something that I've just seen in mainstream media a lot, I have to think like, why do I believe that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's so easy for, I mean, especially for right wing and like media representation to use narratives or like values around like family and community by pushing on, like this picture of like enemy and otherness mm-hmm. and when you have a market controlled by like eight, like 83 percent of the market controlled by basically like the same narrative then like no wonder there is so much hatred being pushed and like mm-hmm. there's so much like internalized like this person is an enemy mm-hmm. or like this group of people are harmful and that's not to say that like these like that's not that's not to say that like it's not the individual's like fault or something. But I think there's we can then extend more grace to these people of being like, well, why, mm. well, why do we think that way? Mm. Because if that's all you've ever exposed to, mm. then you know it takes a lot of courage to um, go online mm-hmm. and to be challenging yourself in everything that you've grown up, and possibly not having people around you that will support you in mm. in that discomfort. Yeah, like. So in the UK, at least, um, the top three red newspapers, number one is the Metro, number two is the Sun, and number three is the Daily Mail. Mm. And it's only recently that the Metro has gone to number one before it was the Sun was the number one red newspaper in the UK. So if you think about the majority of people getting, especially like an older generation, are their main news source no and main pet source of information is the Sun or the Daily Mail for most people. Mm. Um, so therefore, like, that is the narrative that people are being fed. So I think that what you say about grace being given in that situation, if that, if that, if that's what that person is, that's narrative that's being pushed on that person mm. constantly, like there has to be grace given to be like, okay, well, it's quite hard to escape that, like mm. in that situation and how, and is there a way that there can be other information provided or like a way that mm. communities can come together to like kind of expand that those, cause with the XR protests at, um, the printing presses for the sun and other newspapers um a lot of people were very upset because they were like this is inhib this is like preventing the free press but if the press is owned by three <laughs> companies that are owned by billionaires is that a free press like 
I mean, according to the European Council, it's not. Yeah, so what's the European Council? So, yeah, so the European Council said um, level two media freedom alert um, for the UK press, basically saying that, like, the UK press is censoring, like, journalist freedom to record and, like, and that, like, the UK is so good in bashing, like, Mm. countries around the world. in quote unquote like global south and being like oh look at these like freedom repressing countries blah 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 we need to send our democracy there mm-hmm. whilst you can't you don't even have me like media free press in your own freaking country mm-hmm. yeah like and if and if most people are getting their information from one source like and we talk about echo chambers and everything but like say that you own i'd say that you live somewhere where you and you're like maybe from an old generation where you don't use mm-hmm. social media and the only people that you really speak to are the people in your community directly around you mm-hmm. and then you read a newspaper but then, then you that is an echo chamber. That is an echo chamber as well. That in like, many ways that's more of an echo UK. chamber. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And that's like a lot of people. And therefore, I we need to challenge these power structures and these power mm. systems, like especially when it comes to the media. And a really good example of that was um in Liverpool. If people don't know about, I, I learned about this recently, so I'm, yeah, I find it really me, yeah. really interesting. How um if people don't know about the Hillsborough disaster, it was basically a football event where the I, I can't go into it too much. Basically the it was in Liverpool. Um, many people died at this football um, event that happened and the sun and basically portrayed this whole incident as the fault of Liverpool fans and, and people mm. within Liverpool when actually it was the fault of like a lot of institutions of power like the police and other people. But mm. the sun portrayed it as an issue yeah. as an issue of, of football fans in Liverpool being like, the ones who did everything wrong and in response to that Liverpool got together as a community and started like a boycotting of the sun and this was I think this was 30 years ago they started this and now like big supermarkets like Tesco's don't sell the sun because there's no demand for it in Liverpool Mm. um news like news agents don't sell the sun in Liverpool and like and like we can't say there's definitely correlate you can never say there's definitely a correlation Mm. but Liverpool has also maintained quite like more left-wing politics and more like Mm. um accepting politics in many different ways of a lot of different Mm. things that newspapers like the sun promote kind of hatred around Mm. um so you can't we can't say that that's anything that's like affected that there's one aspect like for sure if you think that a community got together to be like we see that this media source is really affecting is negatively portraying our community yes and affecting our community in different ways so we're just gonna unite against it i think that's like amazing the fact that even now they don't sell i think it's just really 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 cool and there's a quote at this end of this article that we'll link in um the show Mm -hmm. notes um that says that the like the people of liverpool have shown that people can still have power over the seemingly omnipotent corporations that run the majority of today's media and government. So, like, we do actually mm. have power if we work together in community and we can resist these kind of corporations that do have so much power. And I think that we need to, like, do that more. I'm not sure how, but, like, yeah. 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 But isn't that such a testimony of, like, first of all, like, nonviolent like, struggle and, like, mm. long-term struggle and the power of community and, like, how, like, something as small as like not reading or not buying this one newspaper Mm. has like major effect on our politics Mm. and I found it quite I think that those kind of actions are really important and those Mm. kind of things and also like challenging these especially like media structures um and that's why like we have all the criticisms of XR that we Mm. have said before but I do really think that the media um the action they did against um the printing presses was a really good action because also opened up that conversation again about who owns the press yeah, yeah. and who owns the media and why like we should be challenging these structures. 
Hello. So the Yikes podcast is primarily supported by our wonderful patrons. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically a platform that you can support creators to make content um, because we can't be fucked with capitalism. So sponsored yeah, ads. sponsored ads. We do some sponsored ads, but yeah. usually um, most companies don't really support what we're doing. <laughs> if you are a company supporting our work and you're interested, shout out. Um, shout out to you. Yeah. But in general, we're, we want to be supported by our community because that means yes. we can talk about the things that we want to talk about. We aren't influenced in any way by anything. We just talk about the things that we think are important. And a lot of these mm. issues um, aren't really supported by many things. So that's why we're supported by you. We want to be owned by our community. Yeah. So if you do um, learn from us, you appreciate our work um, and this podcast, then um, yeah, please uh, join our Patreon. It's the Yikes podcast just on patreon and uh it helps yeah making this podcast sustainable and makes it actually happen and more. yeah and also that we put on for the second tier we put on extra bonus episodes every week so you get Ooh. extra content um where we have like more relaxed chats about so many different things we've talked about migrant rights a lot on there we've talked yeah. about more about the media we've talked about so many different and things, things. Yeah. and personal things um it's a really great space as well we sometimes do q a's we mm. share essays on there um you just get more content from us yep. and mainly you can support our work if you've learned anything from us um so thank you to all the people who are already supporting us and yeah, yeah thank you for making this happen and yeah please check out the patreon link in the show notes and we hope you're enjoying this episode um yeah thanks So if we kind of move on to like mm. how does this affect our ideas of things um kind of case study that we could talk about is how it affects our understanding of like prisons and the prison system mm. um and because and this goes kind of goes beyond like news media yes. but in because it's also present in like how films affect us is also like how we understand the world and how we view the world mm. um and in andrew davis's book um our prisons obsolete and um, there's a quote from um a cultural critic gina dent who talks about the prison industrial complex in the media and says the history of visuality linked to the prison is also a main reinforcement of the institution of the prison as a naturalised part of our social landscape. The history of film has always been wedded to the representation of incarceration. And she goes on basically to talk about how prisons, yeah, but prison, basically the fact that we watch TV and film and we see prisons being represented and that there is a whole genre of films that is about Mm. prisons, it means that in our brains, it's really it makes it so much harder for us to even conceptualize yes. what a world without a prison would be, or why there should even not be a prison, because it's constantly reinforced that there are bad people and bad people must be put yes. in a prison, and that's constantly reinforced within film and media. And I think that like the prison industrial complex, propaganda, which propaganda, is yeah. propaganda, which is basically like propaganda of the police being shown police, in yeah. media like Brooklyn Nine Nine or other mm. TV shows that kind of it's this constant within media this constant representation of these systems that are actually quite yes. oppressive but seen as if they are permanent and immutable mm. that does affect in our brains like how much we are able to envision a future or a world without it and they are also made so much better mm. like and so like beyond the like normalization of of these systems that shouldn't exist mm. and they're also especially when we look at shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine like the humor that is put in the front of it rather than like the harm or like the like addressing like police um structures police like brutality mm. or like the hierarchies um 
that the police and forces and society, like, we laugh it off. Mm-hmm. We have a good laugh about it. Mm-hmm. And um, and it just, like, normalizes that idea around, like, you know, there are certain people that have have power and have power over other people. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, when I, when I think of, like, also current shows that I... I see on TV there's so there's it's all police based like narratives and mm. it's always like this like savior mentality of like um and just like normalizing of like oh like let me call the cops mm-hmm. and then the cops obviously are acting in the best interests mm. of me and like but it's not it's completely like and how much does that affect our brains yes. and, and I there's one thing that I realized when I was reading our prisons obsolete by Angela Wade Davis like that made me really confront myself in like Mm. how much is my consumption of this media affected the fact that I find it really difficult to imagine it's a long time I find it really difficult to imagine a world without the police or without prisons because even though I personally at least before the last couple years hadn't really had much interaction with the police at all Mm. and I've never been to a prison um I like the prison and cops exist in my head because of media because they've they've taken root and they've taken up space in my head Mm. through like this perceived and like how different would our world be if we didn't have this media that's something I think Mm. about a lot like how how much easier would it be for us to conceptualize a world without um prisons or without the police if we if we didn't if we weren't being fed it constantly and like I mean it's not even just it's not even just like propaganda and prison industrial complex it's also like savior narratives and like how much that's popularized and like how and then how that must affect our psychology. The fact that most film, not like yeah, most films actually that are about racism or about um, mm. the transatlantic slave trade or about the civil rights movement, there's always the GWP, so the good white person, always yes. exists. Yeah. Um, there's always someone that it means that like psychologically, when when a white person is watching this show that's showing this like brutal racism or something, there's always mm. rather than having to associate with the enemy or the evil person in there, mm-hmm. the racist person, they ha- they've, they've been given an, a character that they can associate with instead. And how much does that prevent like people from challenging how they exhibit those behaviours as well? Like if yes. there's constantly like a better character that you can jump onto, mm-hmm. then how much does that affect us? Like how much is, is media like taking up op- occupation in our minds and shape, shaping our thoughts mm. and cha- changing our like panels, even like our, like our pathways and our brains are being formed by how we perceive yes. things and like, it's so hard to break out of that. It is. It's so difficult. And like, if you just think like on average, um, we see 10,000 ads per day. <laughs> like no wonder we're all sad, like, and capitalists and mm. consumers. And like, because that's, that's all we ever see all day. And mm. like, when you completely step out, like how do you even step completely out of that? Mm-hmm. Cause even going to the supermarket, suddenly there's like a poster of like, oh, the police is now online recruiting. Um, mm. Excuse me, I'm just here for a cabbage. Like, mm. you know, like, you know, like, but no, like you are reinforcing this like propaganda and just general like advertisement of like the way that like things should be or like seem to be normal, but they're not. And it's, um, I think it's really interesting what you said also with like the cop in the head. Um, there's this, um, he's a Mexican director, if I'm correct, called Augusto Boal and he did like a whole like his work kind of surrounds like the cop in the head which Mm -hmm. means like how you police other people so like we've so much internalized a lot of these like structures like Mm -hmm. for example the police that 
not only do we feel like we can police other people in ways that are harmful and not actually based around like restorative justice or like you know actually looking like what are the root causes of harmful behavior and how can we um how can we like bring in these people for um i guess like that would serve all of us best Mm. uh, and like in the best interest of that individual and he then goes further and being like so how do we also police ourselves Mm. um because like the media also i mean has so much influence on like you know like body image binary gender Mm. like ableism like the like the way we dress the way we even move and speak and all of these things and um so he goes like we are policing ourselves because it's so deeply rooted and because mm. of these like media structures that like constantly tell us like that we are not good enough the way we mm. are and i suppose also like you know like media in general is so dystopian mm. it's so dystopian but it's not in a way that actually catalyzes for change mm-hmm. because it also like you said, like the savior narrative, particularly, like it doesn't mm. actually look at community strength. It doesn't look at like all these, like beyond the police, like actually like who, who was there first and who mm. actually like, mm. like, um, there's a quote that I'm going to quote wrong, mm. but, but in freedom is a constant struggle, which I'm currently reading, which is also about Angela Davis. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, we get it. Cool. <laughs> um, but she talks about how we need to resist this depiction of history as the work of exceptional individuals mm. um, and re- realize that we all have power to create change. And yes. we all, and we need to, and Andre Henry says this in a different podcast where he says like, we need to become part of the sleeping giant that wakes mm. and all of us have that power. Um, but like, yeah, media's, media's depiction of, of, of struggles of yeah. as the work of one individual. Yes as the work of, as the anti-apartheid struggle is just the work of Nelson Mandela, or as the civil rights movement as just the work of Martin Luther King Jr., whilst these were exceptional people who did exceptional mm. things, it wouldn't have happened if it was just them. Yes. There are lots of other people that were involved. But this idea of it just being one person, like, disempowers you, and, like, and it makes in the individuals, because it's like, I'm not exceptional, therefore I can't be involved. Mm. And, like, I think that even in having this conversation, I'm realising how, in how many ways the media just enforces and upholds a system that exists of like Mm. cisnormative like patriarchy racist white supremacist like capitalist ideologies how that's upheld and enforced by the media and how that then upholds it and enforces it within our brains and we uphold and enforce it on each other Mm. and it's this like cycle and it's like how do you break the cycle yeah i don't know but i feel like we won't break that cycle with instagram yes sharing a post on instagram Mm. because you know as we said before like that can be one of the steps of the learning but like and we've said this before like doing internal work is fucking hard Mm. and like especially when you are recognizing the way you profit of certain ideologies the way you're Mm. profiting and have internalized so much like supremacy ideology Mm. like will the media will the metro or the sun particularly um challenge me in those mm-hmm. views probably not because they don't we're not encouraged to have discomfort mm-hmm. and we're not encouraged to actually think that this discom- discomfort that the media is also portraying is to be so easy you mm-hmm. know like like instagram or like in general like a lot of like movies oh yeah like i was i was uncomfortable i read a book now i'm great mm-hmm. you know and like it, it doesn't depict the long-term struggles and the long-term resistance and the mm. long-term like that you need you need community to do that mm. work um 
and especially yeah I guess especially like when we think of like like because saviorism like I feel like that is a lot of like you know you are the one person that can fix Mm -hmm. a whole different thing Mm -hmm. like a whole like big thing um whereas like actually like is is that what's really happening or is Mm -hmm. is it lots of little people like it's a lot lots of people showing up Mm -hmm. and all of them doing their thing and like and that's what comes together it's not as glamorous. <laughs> it's not glamorous. Like no one wants to watch a film that's about someone who prints out leaflets and is part of the movement. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like people want to want to. They want. They crave this idea. Then I'm like, even the craving this idea of exceptional individuals comes from the fact that we've been taught to want that. There's a quote you said the other that recently taught how it's easier to imagine dystopia than mm, it is, and that yeah, like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the book, the quote is from Rebecca Solnit from the book Hope in the Dark. Um, People have always been good at imagining the end of the world, which is much easier to picture than the strange sidelong path of change in a world without end. Because it's much more difficult. It's almost more tiring yes. to imagine that long yeah. struggle. Like it's a lot easier to be like, oh, it's just going to be over. Which mm. is like sad that we've yeah we've become more comfortable with dystopias than utop- than utopian yeah. vision. If that makes sense. But even the dystopia that we like, we don't even go all the way to the dystopia because mm. like, what's this like? Aren't we already living in dystopia? Mm. There was also a quote that I saw the other day, not the other day, like a few years ago, that was like that made me challenge me quite a lot because I really liked reading like dystopia books, and it was saying how dystopia is just what privileged people yeah. call a lot of people in the global south. It's like, mm. like what they, what basically dystopia is saying like we didn't think it happened to us. Yeah, like yeah, and I yeah. realized that like especially during COVID times, I've been like. I've had to check myself a lot of being like, I can't believe this is happening, like, or something. But I'm like, actually, actually, am, am I just saying I can't believe this ha- This is happening here. Yeah. Because, mm. yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, it changed me a lot. Yeah. Like, because, like, I think a lot of the time, like, I can be like, I can't believe this, like, can't believe we're having to do this. And I'm like, well, actually, yeah. like, I was talking to one of my friends um, who, like, his family kind of came over as refugees from a country. Mm. They were saying how, um, like, all of this is very normalized like going to funerals on zoom is very normalized for them and like not being able to like Mm. go home is very normalized and having to stay inside is very normalized and almost this like shock of it happened of us having to do that in the global north is like i don't know that's that was a bit of a tangent but it made me like challenge my idea of dystopia Mm. and what is a dystopia and like yeah is a dystopia just me being shocked that happens here yes Mm. so and yeah so i finished just the books um peril of the sower and peril of the talents by mm. octavia e butler um who writes like dystopian futurism um and she wrote them around like uh, 1980s and so it's set in 2025 and 2030 and so much of that of what she writes i could i i see happening in this pandemic in such mm. an open broad way but in the book is it's just so normalized like mm-hmm. I think and it hit me so much of like all of the dystopia that we can actually imagine is already there mm. like it's already there because otherwise mm. like we wouldn't have these ideas right mm-hmm. where are these ideas coming from mm. either they're from history which means they have happened or they're current right now but they might not exist in our own life mm. um which also means that like how are we challenging that because mm. Are we okay? Are we okay with concentration camps happening again in the US? Are we okay mm. with refugees being stuck on an island that's completely burned down? Mm. Are we okay with everyday like racism and like are we okay with people just dying because our government is just 
failing to prioritize human lives. Mm. And I personally, I don't want to live in a world like that. Like mm. I, and I, I see dystopian, like being helpful in a way that like makes me face mm -hmm. these things and like rise up to the challenge that the world is. Mm. But I feel like there's also some way we can find balance and kind of being like, okay, like, maybe also ha having a practice around like imagining good mm. good futures and positive futures for our community would be helpful because we would actually work then on like how do we get from a to b mm. or like to from a to b c d a mm. or like you know like because there's so many different ways mm. that it can go and mm. um, but being an active shaper i mm. think isn't what the media is wanting us to do no Yeah, one thing just on what you're saying about things, dystopians being things that are really real, mm. like in The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood deliberately didn't put anything in there that doesn't happen to women now. Mm. Like, um, which is which. When I read that, I was like, I, I freak, it, yeah. it was like, yeah, I was like, oh my god. But but that was the desired reaction because, like, when we talk about these things, we can use it as a tool in which to like raise awareness. But it's mm. like how how much is that raising awareness actually creating change and how much should we mm. yeah maybe like not maybe but I think there's there is so much power in in actually envisioning what we want to see rather mm. than just always talking about what we don't want to see yeah and like how and I think in doing that we'll be able to address how normalized we've got with like some yes. things that shouldn't be normal like if you're imagining a world and like for example saying that like oh having clean water should be a challenge for example mm. think about why you've normalized the idea that people shouldn't yes. have clean water yeah if you're in thinking of a world where people don't have to receive racial violence think about why you've normalized the fact that people should have to receive racial mm. violence and how much you've under undermined people's struggles yeah. and that's something that i check on myself with a lot is like how much how much can i like undermine other people's struggles by by normalizing the struggle, normalizing struggle. Yeah. yeah as if the struggle should always exist and that's something that I really like struggle with in a lot of language even around struggle sometimes it's almost like you, the struggle has to exist or like the mm. I don't know because I'm like does it have to exist though like should should mm. we in how much of us saying that are we normalizing that even further like the whole yeah. like yeah I think yes. we should think try and think of a world where people don't have to experience oppression shouldn't be that Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Even saying that though, like, because mm. I feel like, and I, obviously I don't blame individuals mm. on that, but like accepting other people's struggles and like, or like oppression means like you're okay with benefiting off that oppression. Yes. You're acting As a like, privileged person, especially. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. And like, I think, I think we can be honest that like there will be certain things that we will not be that will not be solved in our personal lifetimes mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter because even then even more we have i think a responsibility to act on it mm. because surely we would want to see that for future generations mm. like um gina martin did a post recently where she was like people say to me all the time um but, but like i'm only one person i can only do this much mm. and she was like well then do that much yeah yeah just do that much like do yeah. some do something like we, i mean we talked about this a lot before but how a lot of people will say like if I had been around in this time, I would have stood up and done something. Like people would be like, if I was in this around in the civil rights movement of the sixties, I would have gone to the march in Washington and like been mm. part of the movement, or I would have been with the freedom riders. So where are you now? Yeah, where are you now? Like you think oppression you ended? Instagram. 
yeah, you're sharing an infographic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, where are you now? Like, yes. where, like, oppression didn't just end. Like, no. it's bizarre that we have this, but I think it's because we're taught this through media, through yes. education. We're taught that, like, the fight of oppression, like, the fight against oppression was won. Thank you. Shout out to all the people in the past because, like, we're all liberated and free. I would love yeah. to go back to history. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if I've been back there, like, what about now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We're not even going to get into that. Yeah, We've yeah. got into that so many times. Sorry. I get really pissed off when people are like, I just wasn't mad at me a button in the 60s. Yeah. I'm like, really, hun? Like, in really? Really? Check your privilege. Mm. But that's like a whole other episode. That's a whole other, yeah. But basically, I feel like we should probably wrap up. Yes. But what's, okay, what's one thing. Um, that one aspect you would like to see in a positive future for your community? Ooh. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like a big thing. It's so shit, it sounds like a big thing, but just Doesn't like, matter. that like, racial oppression wouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I, and I think that like, so yeah, we should speak these things yeah. out and like, yeah, just to not have to be, feel a little bit uncomfortable all the time mm. as a person of colour. That's like, shouldn't be that big enough. Mm. But that'd be like, and that's not, that's not even me saying like, not to, is, that's just such a small thing, but I feel like, yeah, that discomfort. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, I shared this with someone else like this week, and um, I think it was especially looking at like all the things happening um, with the lack of like empathy for um, refugees, experts um, in Europe. And I, I just thought like I would, I would love to see everyone in this world being able to wake up to birds not bombs mm. and I would love to, the birds to wake up to laughter rather than machinery mm. so sad how that sounds like a big yeah. ask like these things shouldn't be it big shouldn't asks. be a big ask um, so yeah our challenge for you think about that for yourself yeah. and think about that like frequently and then think about how your the actions that you do in your life could help create mm. that world as well challenge media everywhere Literally. maybe in your community start a movement against certain yeah. newspapers or something yeah. and be like how can we challenge this this like yeah and if you just like keep on seeing the same narratives in mm. the movies you watch the thing maybe check in with yourself and being like why do I like to see these na- like what are these narratives installing mm. in me what they're normalizing why do I like to see certain things mm. um, and even if it's a true story just question yeah. why is that story been chosen to be told rather yes. than another one yeah um, oh, we could do a whole episode on oh. saverism maybe we should yes um, if you want to if you want it let us know on the Instagram um, at the X podcast um, <laughs> plug 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 um, Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we've been your hosts. I'm at Michaela Loach on Instagram. And I'm Teresa Pease on Instagram. Um, make sure you follow at the Yikes Pod on Instagram, um, where on the stories we always share some resources after the episode. And as always, thank you so much to our wonderful patrons um, for supporting yeah. this. We couldn't thank do this work so without you. Thank you. And the Patreon is just the X podcast. If you'd like to support us and support this podcast and support us trying to make these conversations more inclusive, accessible, and kind of provide a more nuanced argument that you can get on social media. Um, ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. And this podcast has been sound edited and all the amazing sound and theme and everything by the wonderful Finley Mowat. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode. 